Hi, this is Zach. And this is Patrick. And welcome to Pipecast. Where we pipe up for pipes and pipe down for water. Well, finally got some sunshine. Yeah, man, the warm weather is back after a blitz of tornadoes and uh, nasty weather. I feel like... <laughs> finally hit spring, it sounds like. I feel like this should be changed to weathercast, because that's about all we talk about. Only, that's at all the we complain. Only at the beginning. We, we do a quick complaint. For those of you who don't know, out in anywhere north or of the Mason-Dixon line or west of the Mississippi River, Southerners have a tendency to talk about the weather, but not necessarily talk about it as much as just complain all the hell about it. Like just how nightmarish it is. Even if it's pleasant outside, there's going to be some sort of twinge of, oh, I miss this, I miss that, or I'm longing for this, I'm longing for that. It's all a complaint. Just a bunch of complainers. That's all we are. Well, I'm assuming that has something to do with losing that war. Mm-hmm. Coming in second place, you're just the first loser. <laughs> <laughs> I had a buddy. He was from Wisconsin. And I went up there one time to watch a football game. And that was, the, that was a, one of the, I guess one of the things I remember most about that was meeting his dad and being like, yeah, I don't know what it is with y'all and y'all's Confederate statues. I mean, this looks like a bunch of second place trophies to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, well, I guess you got a point there. Well, it's hard to argue when you're the loser. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, man, what are you smoking on today? Well, well, you start first. Then I'll jump into what I got. Well, you, you got a story to tell about mine. All right, all right. That sounds good. So what I got today is I've got a, uh, it looks like, it's like a long Calabash-like Dunhill pipe, and I'm smoking in it uh, HH uh, Latakia Flake from McBaron, which is a pretty amazing little flake. need to dry it a little bit, but uh, still has that woodsy dark, you know, kind of smoky robustness that you get from the Cyprian Latakia, and it's got that kind of soury, spicy note from the Oriental tobacco, and uh I think a little burly added in and some Virginia for added smoke and a little sweetness. But it's uh it's totally worth it and it's really good. It's not HH Syrian. Yeah. Which or, we we still need to do like a a bonus like back to back smoke of that one day. Like smoke a one of them first and the other right after. A double bowl. One of the things I can tell you about the HH Latakia flake, if you guys are curious about trying it, it's very good. Dry it for 15 minutes on a paper towel or something, uh, or like uh, wrap it in a handkerchief or something and get some of the moisture out. And then, uh, but you're gonna want to smoke it really s- slow because the burn rate on it's really quick and it can get on top of you. So it's it's definitely it definitely requires you to be a little bit more of a sipper than a puffer. Well, I am in a little old stumpy fella today, and I got. Stonehaven from Esoterica. Stonehaven. A little gift from Zach. Yep. So, you got a, a long adventure with this blend. Mm-hmm. So, Stonehaven is one of those... Um, this story is going to have such a anticlimactic ending, but uh, Stonehaven for me was kind of the... 
forbidden fruit tobacco, the one you could never get a hold of. I'd actually gotten an eight ounce bag of Penzance. I've smoked most of the esoterical blends outside of their aromatic blends. And, uh, you know, Dorchester, uh, Dunbar, um, Margate, Pembroke. Pembroke's really good. And Soda Bed, um, Penzance. But I'd never had an opportunity to get a hold of Stonehaven. And I hunted Stonehaven. And those of you who are on an esoteric quest can relate. It's basically nowhere. You, you just can't find it anywhere. You get very lucky if you get a hold of it online, but but I've had the most success finding esoterical blends in brick-and-mortar stores. And um, anyway, so I've been looking for this. I've been on a quest for it since I've pretty much been a pipe smoker, so for sure about a decade. Um, I've been wanting it uh, ever since I saw a video by Holy smoking pipe padre on youtube well shout out to him uh, he probably has no idea who we are but like um his videos early on i enjoyed watching them him and bruno uh but i don't think bruno actually i think he's actually taken down all his videos which is kind of sad but uh, i don't think there's anything left of the bruno videos or like pipes lawyer some of the older youtube pipe community people will know who i'm talking about but uh anyway Holy Smoking Pipe Padre, he had done a review on Stonehaven, and Bruno had done one as well. And um, I was so enraptured by their uh, review that I, I was like immediately on a request to find it. And other people had done, um, I think it's called The Dark Flake by uh, J.F. Germain, um, which is sort of a separate branding, but essentially it's the same flake. And I really wanted to get a hold of one of them. Um, I've done, I've smoked the King Charles Mister mixture by J.F. Tremaine, um, but I've never gotten close to Stonehaven or, um, you know, in anywhere, not even a sample. Not anyone would, you know, even had it to lend it if, or I could purchase it off of them. So basically you scour the web, you scour, you, you look under every nook and cranny and I've basically given up, but, um, I um, walked into my uh, brick and mortar store back in December, and uh, sure enough, uh, he said, "You know, I think we're getting an esoteric uh, shipment in in a couple of days. Maybe check back and see what we get." Because I'd asked him about Stonehaven, and I said, "Okay." So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to go in there every single day after work and be like, "Do you got anything?" "Nope." See you later. The next day, I went in. And there it was, an 8-ounce bag of Stonehaven sitting on the shelf, the only bag <laughs> left. So, of course, you know, you get those high C notes that, ah, light shined down on me from glory. And I picked up the bag and purchased it. And then um, I didn't do anything with it for three months because I couldn't figure out a reason why I should smoke it. Mm -hmm. I had a pipe laid aside that I was going to devote to Stonehaven and, uh, and did. It's... Um, it was a Costello uh, 55 shape, a little chinny style pipe. And um, I just couldn't figure out what to do. So anyway, like uh, my wife and I had uh, been trying to have a kid and recently she's been, she got pregnant. So I decided to clip open the bag and I was going to kind of smoke it in honor of my kid. And um you know, I lit it up. I put it in my Costello. I was pretty excited about it. And uh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Smells like, uh, you know, uh, points to Patrick. It does smell very much like banana nut bread. It's got a very sweet kind of oat-like smell to it. Uh, it smokes really good. Sweet. Um, perfect burn every single time. All the mechanics of the tobacco are dead on. Um, but it's, you know, as far as its taste and stuff, I'm not blown away. I would uh, I would much prefer other tobaccos. Um, I think St. James Parish is uh, really good. Um, of course, my personal favorite flake tobacco is uh, Reiner Gold. I think that's probably the best uh, flake. It's got uh, Perique in Virginia and then a little uh, white burley in it. It's probably my favorite smoke. Kind of like the uh, island smoke. I think we had discussed this one day at work. Uh, if you could have one tobacco on an island, what would you take with you? Mine would probably definitely be Griner Gold. It's, I think it's the perfect blend. I do like, I do like Griner Gold from what I remember. Um, as far as Stonehaven goes, you know, yeah, it's it's nice. Like you were talking about the mechanics of it all. Uh, I had a bowl earlier today, and uh, man, that uh. You talk about that esoterica ash. I think this does it better than any of them. Yeah. Like, maybe just because of how thin the flakes are. Um, it's just, it's almost, it almost, if you rub it out too much, it almost turns to dust. Or it could. It could, yeah. And, um, but no, I mean, I mean I, I'm sort of in the same boat with you. I like it. I, of, of the esoterica I have had, um, I, I would put Pembroke and, and soda bed above it. Uh, as far as my my personal liking, um, I don't know. It's probably equal with Margate. I hadn't been too impressed with Margate. I mean, right. it's not bad. It just I think Pembroke Pembroke is superior. Uh, Pembroke's cognac topic just has such a nice flavor. They really meld so well with the English tobacco. As a matter of fact, I'm of the opinion that you should call and so to bed Pembroke and make. Pembroke and soda bed because it's such a lovely English with a topping, uh, cognac topping. It just, it seems like something I would want to smoke before I go to bed. It's definitely English, um, or a Latakia Ford uh, blend, but it, that, that aromatic quality that comes with the cognac is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. It's surprising. I mean, people, like, people do seem to forget about Margate, which, as we know from Esoterica, is Pembroke. I think you have a little distaste in that review. You don't think they're quite similar, but like it just shows you what that cognac really puts mm. forward on it. Now, I could be wrong. Yeah. If I'm wrong, you guys, make sure you leave me a comment and tell me that I'm wrong because um, I'm, I've, I've believed for a long time that I've known that Pembroke and Margate are the same mixture, just uh, Pembroke has the added cognac topping. But, man, is it delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, yeah, I have to say Pembroke is my favorite of the Esotericas so far. Um, still, I mean, I, I like Dunbar. Mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to trying Dorchester. But, uh, no, yeah, Pembroke, I, I don't know if you can really top it. Um, I mean, of course you can top it. It's been topped. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, pun. Um, but, oh, yeah, um. Now I, I know I've gone a little bit since having my since having my favorite haunted bookshop, so I, I don't know yet. Uh, my tastes may have changed in trying all this different stuff. And it's funny because I was talking. I, well, I wasn't talking. I was eavesdropping on a conversation in a pipe shop. Two old timey pipe smokers were talking.
talking about how much they hated Burley. Yeah. Because it just gets on top of them. Yeah. It just cracks me up that you're, as a new pipe smoker, or relatively new, you know what, you're, you know, in terms of pipe smoking, like, as much information as you've absorbed and as many tobaccos you and I've ran through together, yeah. you're not, I wouldn't call you new or amateurish anymore. We're going to have to get someone else in here, get a second, second, a <laughs> second new bottle opinion. It's, but, um, it's young in age, I guess. Young in age. So, uh, but ultimately, like, I thought it was so funny because you really hit those burley-based tobaccos so well. And they really are the ones that have the knockout punches, according to, like, some of the older guys. Really? See, the... Let me think here. So, I've been smoking a pipe, like, you know, regularly since December. And, um... Or it became a hobby in December. And, uh... A regular hobby. Yeah. For you guys, we, we don't have to retread old podcasts, but Patrick, on and off for a year, had been smoking... Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think the only thing I had smoked in that year was, uh, what's it called, Blue Note. Mm-hmm. So, and I only had a corn cob. So, like, you know, it, it yeah. I, I knew it. I was into the world, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't a part of it. So, And even though I try to, like, tell people to not smoke aromatics out of the gate, I think they can get a lot more flavor and there's a lot more nuance to English Balkan. Mm-hmm. Really, you don't want to get them hooked on to Virginia or a Virginia Perique or a Virginia Burley base early, but a Oriental Ford, a Latakia Ford blend really is okay for a new beginner, but they always seem to go towards the aromatics because that's really what you fall in love with is that essential aroma that you smell from an old timer, usually smoke it away at like Captain Black or some sort of vanilla base, but it really just tastes really, I mean, you don't, I don't. I don't want to say horrible. It just it has a a blandness to the tobacco. Yeah. You're not really getting anything out of it, and I think people who want to get into it, who want to stick with it, you know, if you were trying to foster someone along their pipe hobby adventure, definitely start them with something a little bit more robust. It might come off as you know they're going to drop jump ship immediately, but yeah, I didn't. I mean, the first blend I remember. Uh, the first one I was introduced at my pipe shop, I remember because I was talking to the guy. He still sells pipes to me. To this day, I was talking to him about it, uh, Robert. And he said, uh, I told him, the first uh, blend you ever recommended was Artisan's Blend by Ashton. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been, you know, that's pretty much akin to Nightcap. It's the equivalency. And I've been smoking ever since. And I was, uh, how old am I now? I was 13 years ago. Oh, wow. I got, well, I got two points of that. Uh, and I'll get back to them here. But, but no, yeah, so as far as like, you know, what, what'll get on top of you and stuff, mm-hmm. like since I, ever since December, I've been going, and the only time that something has really gotten on top of me and, you know, it's one of those like, I don't know what I'm going to do kind of moments was, uh, um, it was a, a straight Virginia blend. That's the only time, you know, and I've, I've smoked, every, I've smoked every type of blend since that moment, and I don't know if it was just because it was one of my first few smokes, or maybe just that day. Uh, maybe I, maybe for some reason I didn't went on a full stomach as I normally am, but but yeah, that's the only time that one has gotten really on top of me. Now this guy, uh, Stonehaven, I thought was going to get a hold of me today mm-hmm. earlier when I had that first bowl. 
because I had one of those like sort of felt you feel your teeth pulsing. Yeah, <laughs> I had one of those right. moments like mm-hmm. halfway through it, but it, it didn't really do anything. But um, but you were talking about uh, you know beginners sort of latch onto that aromatic stuff. I wonder if that's more of an American thing. Like, I wonder if over in, in Europe, England, Ireland, and places like that, uh, Belgium, or not Belgium, Germany, places like that, I wonder if English blends are more of the beginner. You know, I wonder, I, I mean, I don't know. I'd say it probably isn't. I mean, if you've smoked some of the McBaron blends, they're very sweet. It doesn't mean all of them are. Obviously, the HH line is very natural and more tobacco-oriented flavors. But um, if they're, I mean, you can look at tobaccoreviews.com. If their lines are any indication, they do have a lot of aromatic blends, it seems. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily the English blends. And the English blends, one day I'll do a Lakeland history, a history of Lakeland and the laws that sort of came about because of uh, tobacco regulation and what you could put on tobacco in the 19th century that had a lot of effect on what was allowed to be topped and what was allowed to be blended with tobacco. I and mean, that's where you get these uh, Talkland beans and licorice and rose water and floral flavors. But, um, you know, outside of that, I mean, I, I think the English blends, as far as aromatics, the Lakeland versions are a little so- subtler. The German and the American blends are pretty robust. I'm sure that's where people get their start out. And not to say, this this is not a knock, this is not, I love aromatic blends. You just have to be cautious. My favorite aromatic blend is Grouse Moor by Samuel Godwith, which is a lemongrass flavored mm. tobacco, and I think it pairs super well, you know, uh, in the springtime with like a cup of tea. It's just a light, refreshing, light Virginia aromatic. I love it. But I think people, they smell what is essentially over-the-counter tobaccos. And that's where they start. And if they're lucky, they'll have someone that they meet who will introduce them to English vapor and they can continue on their journey. But I think typically they stop around the -the over-the-counter drugstore tobaccos. and You really can't develop beyond that, especially develop your taste buds. I mean, you'll see a lot of old-timers who are just basically old cigarette smokers or cigar smokers who just wanted an alternative to it picking up the tobacco and putting it in a corn cob or some cheap Dr. Grabo pipe or something. But uh, as far as real rich tobacco flavor, you know, it seems like no beginner ever starts there. They always start with something sweeter because they think it's more palatable. And, you know, palatable or not, um, I would suggest not. Um, and, you know, that's that's typically the road that people start on. It's just crazy. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, that pipe you're smoking now, you said you, you had to clean it up a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, so I pulled out of my, I guess, archive of old pipes, um, my first pipe that I ever really purchased that I was proud of, um, I remember because I'd saved up for a while and I wanted a, you know, I'd, I'd worked with a uh, Peterson pipe for a long time and I wanted something else to add to my collection, something because the Peterson was given to me and I thought that um, I wanted to go ahead and purchase a pipe. And of course, I didn't know anything about pipes at the time. So I went to a local tobacconist and um, he was kind of showing me around and he said, well, the best place to start for someone who's not really, you know, kind of like on the on the edge of being in the hobby, but sort of not, 
who has light pocket change because pipes can be expensive even back 13 years ago they were still kind of pricey and he goes you should start with an estate pipe and i said okay well what do you recommend and he goes well this is a good one and he pulled up this uh long um calabash-esque uh dunhill pipe i didn't even know what a dunhill was at the time i was like dunhill what a stupid name <laughs> You know, you don't really think about it. You're just like, that's a peculiar way of naming. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know Alfred Dunhill. I didn't know the history of it. I was, I didn't even really know what Nightcap was. Um, I just was like, oh, okay, so Dunhill. That's interesting. Little did I know um, that basically I was buying the Rolls Royce of pipes <laughs> as my first purchase. You know, and he had this estate pipe. Um, it was actually kind of dirty. It's a vulcanite stem, a very long pipe. Uh, and it's got a shell bowl on it, dark, uh, and a silver band. And, uh, I think he wanted $150 for it. And I was like, Hey, I can afford that. So, um, he said, it's a very nice pipe. I didn't really get that at the time. I was just like, okay. Uh, so I purchased it. I liked the way it looked. It had a lot of, uh, oxidation at the end of the vulcanite stem. And so vulcanite, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, we'll do a quick little history on stems. Um, you know, at the beginning of, pipe smoking really you just carve out a rock you know this would have been kind of a more native way of doing things you carve out a rock you know over you get a little uh bowl going and kind of a, a shank uh with with really and really the shank is the stem at that point and you smoke your tobacco and then later on uh other materials were added clay also you can still use stone corn um and the stems were reeds or bamboo you know shoots that you put in and that would be your stem slash shank those burned out and stuff but over the course of time and the way people are we started creating more and more ornate um, material to go with our pipe so you'd get meerschaum and then with a the meerschaum bowl you would get an amber stem which is apparently really difficult to uh to work with um especially now i don't think anybody really even works in amber stems anymore but um they're very fragile, ornate, you know, more of an heirloom piece. And then over time from that, um, rubber became more available. And with rubber, you could take that, uh, that material and blend it with sulfur and some other added things, and you would get vulcanite. Vulcanite is a rubber stem with a lot of sulfur, and um, it can be manipulated fairly easily, carved down, filed down, and then uh, heated up and manipulated in terms of putting your bend into your stem um and then of course lucite and acrylic plastic uh showed up later but uh, we'll talk about vulcanite so vulcanite because of the sulfur content in it it oxidizes really quickly um the sulfur will actually come to the surface and it'll make this nasty brown green tint on a black stem and um i've just pretty much lived with this since i bought it they kind of gotten as much of it out as they could i remember i bought some brevia pipe sweetener stem sweetener um and used it as like an oil you know material and i would rub it in but it would never do anything so i was scouring the web as i do and found a video on pipe restoration and i was like well i wonder how this guy's going to get this oxidation out of this vulcanite stem because any restoration is going to go on older pipes and really i don't know how at the time, I had no idea how you would even get that out. But the guy did something interesting. He took OxyClean and Tupperware, uh, you know, box or whatever, put OxyClean in it, put water in it, threw his pipe and uh, stem in it, 
and left it overnight. And then he pulls it out the next day and he takes uh, a um, magic eraser from uh, Mr. Clean or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you can just rub, 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 because it's like a microfiber. Uh, it's like an abrasive. And it will it will just clean off all of that oxidation. So I had oxidation about an inch down from my stem where the uh, where the button is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's... Uh, I cleaned it all off and it looked real nice and black. And then I took some of that Brebbia that I still had left over from 12 years ago, I guess. I just found it and I polished it with a cotton rag. And uh, and sure enough, man, uh, the stem looks brand new. This is an 05 or an 06 uh, pipe. So, I mean, it's been around for, you know, older, longer than a decade. I think it's an 05. I think I got mm -hmm. it. I liked it because it was the year... Um, I graduated high school and um, a, uh, so uh, when I say I got it, I mean, it was an estate pipe and it, and it just ha so happened that it was the year I graduated high school. So the year before, so about a year old, but I guess they, the guy who has it because the, the sulfur will oxidate a lot harder. I know people who smoke vulcanite stems, there are people who do not like it. They get some immediate bitterness in their mouth and it's because of the pH levels in their mouth. And the vulcanite sulfur uh, will actually have a little chemical reaction. It'll turn the stem green, and then it just gives them this nasty, acrid flavor in their mouth. Now, that doesn't affect me, but I never really liked how oxidized it was. But let me tell you guys, like that OxyClean on a vulcanite stem to clean it up, is it's it works. It's crazy. With a little magic eraser, they're a little cube. You can just take a pair of scissors and clip it and just rub, 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 rub. And then take you a little, um, you you probably should get a polishing agent. Um, I'm not, I, I use the Brevia one. I think you can get it on smokingpipes.com. A little tube will go a long way, but there's probably other polishing agents you can use on material. And then just clean it up. She's ready to go. She smokes like a dream still. <laughs> it is a beautiful pipe. I love this pipe. Um. I didn't even realize when I've looked at your collection before, I didn't realize that was a Dunhill. Or maybe you might have said it. I didn't, I didn't pay attention. But, or it went over me. But A lot of people say that everyone should own a Dunhill. I don't I don't know if they're that important, but it is sort of a kind of a rite of passage to have one for like a really... Uh, I think a Dunhill pipe, if, if we still lived in a society that was respectable, and not this <laughs> hard show that we call life now, but no, if, if, you know, it would be cool if I retired one day from a job and, and my retirement gift was a Dunhill pipe. I think that that would be cool. Uh -huh. I'd much prefer a pipe than a watch or, you know, something. I don't even know if they do watches or anything like that anymore. Well, I have to say, it's sort of, in my opinion, I'm just, you know, just stating a matter of fact opinion that just came to me. It doesn't seem, it seems sort of ironic that you would give a watch to someone who's retiring. It's like, they don't need a watch anymore. What are they going to use it now for? Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Now life is so, do do with what you will. There is no kind anymore. But, uh, That's and, interesting. I never thought about that. I guess there really isn't a need, a necessity for it. You know, and, and then of course, add on this day and age, I mean, watches are more of a fashion statement than an actual Well, now they use. definitely are jewelry. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because with cell phones, I mean... What's the point? At the you know, um, sort of going a little bit more, uh, or get, going a little bit off topic, but back to your talking about the pH levels and stuff. 
I was talking to someone at work, and they were saying, and I haven't really looked into this kind of stuff, so it may it's news to me. It may not be to the, you or the listeners, but supposedly, if you like are like the healthiest you can be, you have the healthiest stomach. The pH level in your stomach will allow you to eat raw meat, and it doesn't hurt you. Huh? Because the something about the pH levels in your stomach would kill any of that any of the bacteria. I don't know about that, but I know that meat tartare is uh, popular. I think you can only do it in Canada, but it's just raw meat. They serve uh, raw meat to you, and that's what you eat. And I really want to do it really badly. Um, I don't know if my wife would let me do something like that. We're expecting a kid, and I'm sure I'd get some (laughs) sort of, like, nasty worm or something. But, man, that just sounds awesome to me. Well, if you get you a healthy, healthy stomach, apparently it's no risk. The closest I've had to, like, raw meat is, and again, it, it, it wasn't raw when I ate it, but, again, this is just telling you how close I've gotten to that, is eating pho. I mean, because I think the normal way you cook pho is you, unless it's chicken, if it's beef, then you're fine. You just, they throw it into the broth uncooked and let it, the broth just cook it, and boom, you're ready to eat it. Pho's really good. Oh, yeah. I like pho. Now, granted, I, I'm more of a chicken pho guy, so... Uh, but, you know, I've had steak. That's cool. Yeah. Faga, I guess it would be chicken pho. Hmm. But, uh, but no, yeah, um, I don't know, I just thought that was weird. Uh, you brought the that pH level, so. Uh, but no, yeah, that is a nice pie. I, I don't know if I'll ever, um, get a Dunhill, uh, you know, maybe one day. It might be an estate one. Maybe a case like yours. Mm-hmm. You know, I may go into a brick and mortar shop and just see an estate one for, for a good price and maybe like, yeah, yeah let's go ahead. Um, and, and, and are they necessary? Absolutely not. Like this is the, <laughs> tobacco is necessary yeah. for pipe smoking. Make no mistake. Uh, the way in which you smoke tobacco is, um, or the, the, the material you use to smoke tobacco is irrelevant. Yeah. Who's smoking tobacco? Like that's all. The only necess- necessary thing is is tobacco, tobacco. in my opinion. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, if you're if you're a collector or connoisseur, you like the way pipes are. Uh, sure. Um, like I said, I mean, I only have the one Dunhill. That shows you how expensive and how highly I think of them. <laughs> um, I've only got the one, and I probably won't buy another. To my knowledge, you know, yeah. I, I think that. There's some offshoots that happen in Dunhill, um, Ferndown pipes, uh, Ashton pipes, um, uh, Sassini pipes. Um, they're offshoots of the Dunhill. They worked for Dunhill and then they sort of became their own thing. I think you can find you're going to get more bang for your buck and you're going to get a little bit more uh, substantial pipe as far as a workhorse pipe if you buy a Sassini or an Ashton or a Ferndown. Um, my next pipe will be a fern down pipe. Ooh. So um, it's the only one of the three offshoots that I don't have. So um. I think uh, my plan, and it's subject to change like a lot of my plans are, <laughs> uh, uh, my plan probably moving forward is uh, not being snobby about American made stuff, but I think from here on out, maybe every year, every two years. I'm just going to get a new Boswell. Boswell's a good pipe. Yeah. They make a super great pipe. Of course, I just broke my Boswell the other day. 
because I'm an idiot, I broke um, my uh, prints. But Boswell, um, for those of you who are Boswell owners and have done something stupid like snapped uh, the tenon inside the shank of your pipe, um, it, it happens. It happens to the best of us. Or the worst of us, because I've done this more than once, so whatever. Uh, Boswell has the ability to ship your pipe out to him, and they have a nice little price guide, and he will fix it up for you. So That's nice. I looked it up the other day, and I plan on shipping him out uh, prints, and um, I'm actually going to spend a little extra money and ask him to make me another stem. So when I break this one, inevitably, I won't break the other one. <laughs> well, that is funny. Like, you know, we, we you and me both speak highly of Boswell, and then... You know, today I noticed my little little crack in the, you know, what was that little part called? Uh, you talking about the air chamber hole? Yeah, yeah, the hole um, that goes from the bowl. To the, the drill hole, yeah. Yeah, the drill hole. I got a little, looks like a little, just a little crack above it, you know, and I mean, that, I don't think that's anything to do with him or his work. It's probably just the briar. So probably. Just the way it is, you mean, it's, it's like how it is with all stuff that Americans, or not Americans, humans, when we take you know, we take this material and we, we mold it to what we want. You know, it, it's still, you know, it's, it's a natural material. Sometimes it does things that we don't foresee happening. Right. Um, but, but no, I mean, I've had this for maybe two months now. And it is definitely my workhorse um, pipe. You know, and all my other ones are Peterson's. And I love, I love them. I love Peterson's to death. But, um. This guy, I guess it's just the size of, of, of it uh, as a whole and then the size of the bowl. It's just a perfect, just, oh, yeah. it's the perfect smoke for me um, as far as length and quality. I, I love the Boswell pipe, but the, um, the thing about the Boswell pipes, um, you know, I think if you were to, if you are, if you are someone who just enjoyed tobacco, then you could buy three pipes a year, and you really wouldn't. You would. You would. You probably wouldn't even scratch the surface of the of a middle grade pipe. And and the, what you could do, um, if you're interested, um, for two hundred bucks, you could have two great pipes every year, no matter what. And that would be a Boswell pipe, because mm-hmm. they average between one hundred and sixty two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, if you want to spend a little bit more, it would be. A little bit more than two hundred a year, but usually, I mean, the the ones that I really, really like, the ones that I've loved and spent money on, are about a hundred and sixty. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the bones pipe, all oh, bones pipes are only forty bucks, man, and they're great pipes. Mm-hmm. And then you could throw in a, a, you know, a corn cob, and then over time, you know, in three years, if you did that, you would have. That plus a corn cob would be a seven day rotation in three years. That's not even that bad. Yeah, you know, and even if you wanted to go, you know, other country uh, origin countries, I mean, you could do a Boswell one year. You get a hundred dollar or eighty dollar Peterson the next year. Mm-hmm. You get you a hundred dollar Savinelli the next year if you want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, you, you could you could expand and stay in that hundred dollar or two hundred dollar a year range, and and still get get a bones pipe here and there, get a corn cob, or you know you can take the Zach route, just get you a mirrorship and just go to town, get one and just go. Mm-hmm. But like the problem with me, and I think it's similarly a problem with you, is I'm a collector. I like collecting things. That's the thing. It's like I mean I love 
collection. <laughs> like it's yeah. a, it's like it's more addicting than nicotine could ever be, because there's something to getting a new pipe. If you love it, that's what you want to do. And and the sort of like the not the silver lining. I guess the opposite of the silver lining. The double negative, I guess, of pipe smoking is that your collection can extend past your pipes into the tobacco itself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the double <laughs> negative. That's true, though. <laughs> it's like, you know, I got I got ten pipes sitting out here, but I got, you know, thirty, you know, things of ten. Or the other, just hypothetically speaking. Mm-hmm. So like thirty tens of tobacco, hundred tens of tobacco. Like, there's, it, it's. You wouldn't think it, but it could get a very expensive, it could be a very expensive hobby. It, very quickly, the, based on the person, it's going to be, I mean, the person alone is going to dictate how much the, the hobby is going to be. And that, and that also makes it probably the one of the best hobbies, because it sort of, it can reach your, you know, uh, a, you know, a lower, lower middle class, all the way up to upper class, as far as your budget and what you're willing to spend on pipes and pipe tobacco. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it stretches the entire genre. Um, if you want five brand new Dunhills and you can afford it, you know, you can do it. Oh, yeah. If you're happy with just a $40 bone pipe once every year, you know, you may burn it out um, if, if that's the only one you got. <laughs> but... You know, you can do that. You, you, you could buy an 8-ounce tin of tobacco. And depending on how much you smoke, that could last you a year. Or you could buy several. Just sell them up. That's what's surprising me is that when I hear people who can go through a 2-ounce tin of tobacco within a week or two, that blows my mind. It's like, well, I don't smoke nearly as much as they do, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like other you know YouTube tobacco reviewers, you know, you know, some of them go through go through the tin to test it, um, and you know, in a week's time, I'm like, Dad, no. You know, I, I've I have, like I said, I probably have about twenty, thirty different. I mean, that's blends. pretty. I mean, can you think about it? in eight weeks? That's a pound of tobacco. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have not gone through uh, an entire thing that I bought yet. Granted, I bought a lot, and I've tried almost every single one of them, but you know. Still not gone through, but then again, I, I you know I don't smoke an awful lot. I mean, I I probably smoke the bare minimum to be called a pipe smoker. Right. You know, anywhere from twice a week to five six times a week, just depending on how the week is. Now I will say this though: this uh, Latake fl- flake that you got me. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, guys, if you didn't know, Patrick uh, bought me Latake flake for my birthday. It was really cool of him because he i know he'd heard me say i wanted to try it <laughs> so he's a snoopy little devil but um i'm probably gonna buy a pound of the stuff That's oh really I'm, yeah i probably will i'll probably buy a pound of it and a pound of the balkan blend mm. i want to try the the balkan blend i plan on getting it next time i'm at the store so you can split it i know you've got some of the acadian i'd like to try sometime oh yeah i do yeah I and we're talking about the hh line um the uh there's an HH Acadian, there's HH Balkan Blend, and there's HH Latakia Flake. And, of course, you heard us talk about HH Syrian Latakia, Vintage yeah. Syrian. Yeah. And, and there's others, too, that I I'm sort of want to try. Like, was it um, 
because they're dark Kentucky or bold Kentucky, and then old and then and dark, dark fire. fire. Yeah. yeah, I want to try those too. Um, I want to try their burly flake as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that I see. I, you know, now you've got uh, uh, the uh, Peter Heinrichs uh, dark flake. Do you not? I'm pretty sure you do. That I bought on my own? No, you did not buy it. It's mine. It's just sitting in on your shelf. I'll let you borrow yeah. it. Yes, yes, I do have that. I have not tried it yet either. I need to get need to try it and get it back to you. I mean, it takes a dime. I've got plenty of tobacco. But I like I like. Granted, I was thinking about it the other day, so I might take a little bit with me. But uh, I'll leave you the ten. Oh, oh, okay. Hey, everyone, do I do like that ten? I wish. So with you, I wish, I wish they all came in tins like that. They like painter tin. Mm-hmm. They seem to last longer too. Yeah. So how's old tobaccoology doing? Well, we uh, we had a little bit more uh, interaction with it. Um, uh, so hopefully, you know, we'll get a, a few more uh, votes in there, and uh, you know, I think next week we'll probably start it. We'll we'll start our you know windling it down and. Um, next week or the week after. Um, I try to push Patrick to do it this week, but you know he's got the his holiday coming up on Sunday. I'm right. Oh, Saint Patrick! Oh yeah, I'm such a good person. They named a holiday after. That's right. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. We couldn't do it this week, but yeah, you gotta gotta prepare for old Saint Patty's Day. <laughs> I don't even know what I'll be doing for Saint Patty's Day. But you're going to. I thought you were going downtown. Someone told me you're going downtown. Well, I have uh, I have a, a party to go to in Florence, so I'm not able to go Saturday downtown when a lot of people are going. So, depending on what the people that get, what the people do on Saturday, if they're wanting to do it again on Sunday, then I'm down. But also, I'm starting crazy diet on Monday, so I don't really think I'm going to go too hog wild this weekend. Hmm. I've already gone a, a week without caffeine and got through the headaches. So. <laughs> oh, man, the headache, the caffeine will get to you. It'll stick it to you, won't it? Well, and that's the thing. I've never really, like, okay, little story about myself. I've never thought of coffee as a need. You know, like a lot of people, they wake up and they're like, I need my coffee. I'm like, I need it, need it now. And I'm like, I've never really thought of it as a need. It's more of like a, that's just the first thing I grab, and it's just, I like the taste. And uh, I'm just, I guess, one of the weird ones. Like, I drink my coffee black most of the time. Uh, I do like some sweetener, Irish cream every now and again, things like that. But, I don't I just don't think of coffee as like, I need it to upstart my day, right? Right. But then I, I, I did, so, you know, some days I won't drink coffee. Just, I just won't do it. Um... But I noticed that I'd get headaches every now and again. And I'm starting to think it's probably I didn't have coffee that the day or the day before. And it was it was hitting me. And I just wasn't paying attention to it because, again, I don't pay attention to my coffee intake. No, that makes sense. But then after I realized that, you know, on this weird diet I'm not going to be drinking coffee, I was like, well, I better just go ahead and get used to that. And then I started getting headaches. I'm like, well, maybe that's what that is. Mm. And, uh, but I'm done with it now, so I should be good. It should be right as rain. It takes about four days to shirk the, to shake the, uh, the old coffee withdrawal, yeah. the caffeine withdrawal, I think. 
Yeah, see, I haven't had any since Monday. Now, granted, I had decaf coffee on Wednesday. Somebody said that, that still has a little caffeine in it, but I'm, I'm fine now. Gotcha. I mean, that tells you how much I like coffee to taste. I, I'll drink decaf coffee. I don't care. Caffeine doesn't nothing to do with it for me. Or I, I don't. I never thought it did. <laughs> <laughs> and if if that's what it does to you, then it's almost like I never want to drink coffee again. I don't want the damn. I don't want the damn headaches. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. Like how quickly your body gets used to something and then demands it, and will have withdrawals from it. Yeah, I watched some kind of. I think it was like a TED, like the the TEDx and the TED Talk, all that stuff. They got little cartoon illustrations on Facebook, YouTube, and uh, I get caught in them sometimes just because they're so, just so full of information about things. I'm like, man, that's that's just very interesting. And I saw one talking about caffeine and like sort of what it does to you, like you know you it like it fills in those receptors and then more receptors will grow out and so you need more coffee and then just the cycle keeps going, and then you got to break it to get those you know receptors back down. And then, you know, one cup, maybe one cup of coffee later, it's going to be like, it's going to shoot you up. <laughs> hmm. It's just weird, you know, I and I never thought about it like that. You know, so, uh, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Caffeine's crazy. Uh, I also saw one of those videos talking about muscles, and I didn't realize that the way muscles grow is by tearing them. I, I didn't realize that. Maybe I just fell asleep in science class. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's a continual... Tearing, resting, tearing, resting, and then build muscle. Um, which seems very counterintuitive, but whatever. Well, apparently, that's the reason why they kind of bulge up is because they it's kind of like scarring them. Uh, now, I heard that. That's probably super wrong, so don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm already ready to be wrong about that, but somebody told me that one time. That it's just like, yeah, you're basically scarring them up. You tear it, and you, they heal, and that's just scar tissue. And I mean, it makes sense. It does, but then it also sounds stupid. Isn't it crazy how most of the answers to life either are, are so wrong and so stupid, or they're so simple and so right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. I mean, it. Yeah, it does seem like I have a hard time when someone tells me something. I'm like, that makes sense. Everything seems like that can't possibly be correct. What do you mean? I remember one time my parents told me, when I say one time, I was not a child. I was a full-grown-ass adult. (laughs) And they were like, did you know that hummingbirds migrate on the backs of ducks to South America? And I was like, that is absolutely not true. (laughs) They do. There's no, there's never been a picture of a hummingbird, I mean, that would be like, everyone would know that. That's just like, no one would be like, it's 2019. Um, we just, National Geographic recently took a photo of a hummingbird riding on the duck, a back of a mallard, just, you know, just through the air. And they were just, just completely convincing, or they were convinced, and they were just like, no, I'm serious. Like, yeah, we, and I go, where'd you read that from? And they go, all right, so we were out at Joe Wheeler, and there was this guy there, and we were looking at all the hummingbirds because they were migrating, and he, he said, you know hummingbirds fly to South America on the backs of ducks. <laughs> and I was like, 
Yeah, but what? Like, who was he? Was he like John Swanson, PhD, duckatology, or whatever? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's, that's ornithology is the study of birds or something. Um, no, no credentials, just some, could be some homeless dude just out there like, yeah, you know, hummingbirds, they, they fly on the backs of ducks because they, <laughs> they can't, yeah, they just, uh, that's what they do. It's like, come on, man, like, get that out of here. Like, I... <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. So you can't suss out a lie? Like, I lied to you for so many years, and you knew every single one of them. And then this random guy. And then this random dude. Like, I wish I was that convincing when I was a child. But like, no, I don't know what happened to the cake. It must have walked off. And they were like, you're grounded for seven years. The cake must have got on the back of a duck and flew to South America. <laughs> That's what it, I should just start blaming everything on ducks. I'm like, did you know that cake migrates to South America on the backs of ducks? When you don't eat it. <laughs> what somebody told me um, sometime this past month how funny it is that you know growing up your parents say you don't don't believe any everything that you read don't believe everything you see on TV or anything like that and it's just funny as you get older and as the parents get older it's almost like they start believing everything they see on the internet and on the and on TV I'm like what is happening like we almost like a role reversal happens as you get older with your parents the <laughs> The burden of a responsible child is that they inherit two sets of children yes. when they decide to have it. They <laughs> first get the child that they have when they couple with their wife. Mm -hmm. And then they get the second wave of children, which is your parents when they watch way too much news. Yep. <laughs> Talk, talking about like, like sort of being skeptical and not believing some things. I was watching a show, and uh, the infamous, or I guess he's not infamous, I don't know what he is, <laughs> old Alex Jones was on there, and of course everybody knows about him and all, all his crazy kooky stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Y'all buckle up, we're about to get into some 9-11 <laughs> truther stuff right here, I can feel it. So I've never really paid attention to the man, I, I know about him, I just, he just seemed a little bit too outside the realm of where I was going to go when it came to news and stuff like that and whatever so he was on this he was on this show and he was talking about he's going through all this stuff about human cow hybrids uh spider guts that made armor or something thing you know nasa or somebody tried to blow up the atmosphere in the 1960s all this strange stuff and about how NASA and, and, CIA, and the CIA are these two breakaway governments that are competing and fighting over, you know, the control of the, of the world and all this crazy stuff. And I'm just sort of like, okay, well, maybe you're a little convincing. Okay, maybe I can believe that. And then he goes, yeah, but you know, MSG, that's toxic. And I'm like, well, hold on now. Now everything's <laughs> going in question for me. And the only reason why that is because, you know, I've read some stuff about MSG and how it's basically just a spice. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's nothing crazy you know right. a lot of people say you know it, it makes you more hungry which if it i did read where it is similar to aspartame and aspartame does do that it makes you a little bit more hungry so i might be able to believe that but i mean it's just another spice that you know cultures in asia throw into their food you know and people have created this huge anti-msg movement and it's like and you know we've all sort of accepted it ever since like what the 90s or so we've all accepted that and it's just funny how I'm over here listening to this kook talk about all this crazy stuff. Well, yeah, 
you know, you know, I could sort of see where that where you get that. And then he, he goes in the MSG. I'm like, well, write him off. He's a good just because he said something everybody else believes. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think 9/11 was an inside job then? Oh my god, I have never really thought that. No, uh, um, uh, no, no. I, I, I've I've seen videos of 9/11. Uh, uh, you know, of those conspiracy videos. And okay, and I will say this. I do think that you should question things, but I do think that you people need to be aware of their influence in their questioning of things. Okay, now I'm not saying that you shouldn't say what you think on TV or let you know people know it, but you still should have a little bit of I don't know. You need to take responsibility in your in your words and your actions, right? You need to know for a fact before you say something like that. Um, before you say it as fact. Now, if, you, if all you're doing is questioning, I mean, I, that's fine. I mean, I think we should question. But, I don't know, I, I just, the evidence never really seemed, in the, in the world of Photoshop and and people thinking that this dress, remember that striped dress everybody thought was black and, black and blue or gold and white? I never saw a black and blue dress. I saw a gold and white dress. And if people can't even agree on that, then, then I don't know. You know, I, I, I just think there's too much doctoring to, to, to sort of prove the conspiracy. But that's sort of where I am with that. So you heard it here, folks. Bush did not 11. Oh, my. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think you're trying to push it. I'm not. Hey, man, I'm just repeating what I heard. In the age of, what were you saying, doctored photos and stuff, <laughs> what I heard was Patrick say that he thought Bush did 9-11. No, 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 no. <laughs> listen, for all of Bush, I, you know, I thought Bush was a, an all right president. I'm a little not so much on the Patriot Act. Now, you can skin me alive and hang me for saying that, but, you know, I'm not so big on that and, and the Iraq war. But, I mean, that's hindsight, you know. I mean, I can say all I want about things that somebody did wrong <laughs> 10 years after it happened. <laughs> Uh, but you know, he did fine. But no, he did not. He was not buying that one. Right. Maybe, okay. the, maybe the Democrats in Congress were. <laughs> Good. Lord. That makes no sense. I'm kidding. <laughs> really went off the deep end there. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm messing. Um, I mean, but I mean, there is something to say that you know, I was saying the other day. You know, our country is so split, so heavily, heavily. Um, it's like the only thing that's ever going to pull us back together is something like that. And I, I hope it never happens. But then again, it's like you always see it. You know, a major catastrophe happens. And then, of course, it's a rallying of, you know, around the leader, you know. I know you told me not to talk about this, but. No, you go ahead. I don't care. But uh, but it, it does have a point. So today, tragedy struck. Uh, there was a mass shooting in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to those folks. But mm-hmm. um, you were talking about something rallying people together you know you would assume something like that would but as soon as uh it happened there was a letter that got pushed out by a politician out of new zealand who politicized it immediately now i'm not going to say what he did or what he said or whatever you know it's not me to say or to comment or negatively or positively but my question is and the, the way i would frame what i'm saying here is do you think if something like 9-11 happened today, that it would unite or politicize 
because I have this weird feeling, sneaking suspicion that we weren't as deep in as we are now, and it might politicize us. You got to think, it's twenty years ago, basically. You know, it de- it really depends on what it is. You know, it really depends on on it is because I could see something like nine eleven happening today, but more so like uh, some kind of terrorist group uh, has gotten into the country uh, and has bought all these guns and and then carried out an attack. That very well was what. It's but some the thing about nine eleven was it. It didn't touch on anything that splits us today, like guns weren't involved. I mean, other than maybe there was guns that you know for threatening, of course, on the plane, but you know the guns didn't kill anybody on on nine eleven. It was it was nobody. In, I don't know if there were guns on the plane. I thought they used knives or something. Okay, yeah, okay. See, that's it. Not just. I just. I'm know. just saying. Like it's. I'm not like saying you're wrong. I'm just saying. Well, it like, makes sense. How how would you get a gun on the plane? Right. I mean, it seems like that'd be pretty difficult. Yeah. So so there you go. So so guns weren't a part of it, um, and so many so many other things. I mean, were not a part of this. So there really wasn't a way to politicize 11 Only other than maybe. Um, Policy as far as um, I don't know uh, immigration, not immigration, but people coming to the country, coming out of the country. Um, but I mean, it still it did not create uh, a divide, really. Um, the interesting thing is, is most countries who are very progressive still have to have stringent immigration policies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't just like everyone pretends like, and this is. You're for it, you're against it, whatever. I'm not really making a stand. I'm just saying that Canada, you can't just, I'm going to be a Canadian citizen today. Yeah. No, it's it's really difficult to become yeah. a Canadian citizen. Really difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, not like now whether or not they need to lighten up or we need to lighten up or we need to, you know, you know, get tougher. That's not for me to really comment on on this, but it does seem like most Western countries that are relatively progressive have to have border control yeah. to a certain degree. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always weird that we point to ourselves as saying that we're not. And it's just like, well, I thought border control and just immigration was just a part of any national policy, just in general. Now, I'm sure the stringency of it, of being very strict or not, is more, you know is neither here nor there. But, like, does seem like most countries have to have some yeah. form of, of uh, regulation with their border or, or immigration in general. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, and it, it may be the case for a lot of people, I think a lot of times when people are, when you hear that they are for stricter, you know, border control and things like that, they're automatically assumed to be some kind of prejudice is pushing it. It's like, and again, that may be the case for a lot of people, um, but I don't think that's the case for um, a lot of, um, you know, relatively intelligent people uh, who who think that way. I, right. I, I, I have, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think it has anything to do with it. Um, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just gonna say it. I mean, I'm, I'm all for you know strict, um, you know, laws to keep, you know, just you know, like you said. Uh, ways of immigration things like that there needs to be some kind of checks and balances there uh but it's not not just even me saying it it's not you saying it it's just this is the this is every country yeah yeah 
There are laws on the books. I always think it's weird when people talk about like, well, there should be no one that comes in or everyone should come in. I mean, that no country operates like no. that. And, and, and again, and that, that's sort of what I was getting to. It's like, I want people to uh, come to this country if, if they feel like it's going to better themselves. I mean, I, I like to know the fact that I could go to another country and become a citizen. I mean, that um, you know, not every country, but a lot of countries, you know, I'd like to go do that. And I expect our country to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, again, there's some kind of, you know, not moderation, but there's got to be some kind of just regulation of it, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't, it can't just be done willy-nilly. Um, and, and uh, you know, you were talking about it, it's like, or you weren't talking about it, but you said something that made me think about this. It's, so, you know, sometimes maybe the way that govern, the government goes about it, you know, they could probably do it better. Government's never going to get it right. They never do. Um, so, and I'm not putting my faith in anything like that. I'm just saying any institution that has to regulate people to a certain extent mm-hmm. and is governed by a body, you know, they, they're going to have laws in the books that regulate who stays and who goes in their country. Yeah. yeah. And that's not, I mean, that's not a, that's not prejudiced or, or racist in tone or anything like that that I hear. And it, and it should, I mean, it can't, I'm, I'm assuming it can be, but I'm just saying like, it has nothing to do with it. It just has to do with like, it's just a natural order of structured society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as the world has progressed, um, from the beginning of time, that's something we've sort of learned along the way. Um, if we're not going to all be under one kind of rule and we're going to be separate rules, then there's got to be ways you know it's gonna be a a system in place yeah and it's the way we operate it's the way we trade it's the way we provide for our families and i mean all that structure is built in to assist yeah you know and you know but at the same time it's like over regulation will kill you you know I'm, i'm in the middle on this kind of stuff it's like too much can be really dangerous too little can be really dangerous um yeah I mean, and, and, and my belief has always been number one, the, the number one at the top of everything, the government's first responsibility is to protect its citizens. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just a part of it. That, I mean, I mean, that's just what it is. Um, so, I mean, y'all getting a little, a little taste of, a little bit more taste of me and Zach's philosophies. But it, I mean, it's not really a philosophy, it's just statements. We're just making statements. Well, I mean, it would be difficult to say that, like, it would be strange to attack uh, the fact that, like, all countries have to have some sort of border, period. Arbitrary or, you know, you know, or real, you know, as in, like, a, 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 a line in geography or a actual wall. Um, you know, I mean, th- those things exist. And the way you regulate people coming in and out is just the natural order of a structured society. It just seems yeah. strange that you, that there's so much argument around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. <clears throat> but no. I mean, that you know that is one of the big things right now that that is pulling us so so far apart. And it's like it, it's such a simple thing. I mean, it's complex, but the base of it is so simple. It's like this is just part of it. Yeah. And of course, it, it you know, definitely reform needs to be there. Um, I think there needs to be constant reform on, across a lot of things. You just need to keep checking and making sure 
You know, are we doing it the right? You need to be questioning yourself. The government should be like a individual person. You need to be questioning your ideals and your thoughts uh, every day, in my opinion. Um, you know, because you may believe something your entire life, and this one little piece of knowledge you never had changes everything. Mm-hmm. So you always need to be in search of that. You know, if, if that's something you want to do, but the government should be that at all costs. It should be trying to better itself. You know, most definitely. I mean, I think anything going through a, uh, you and I do <clears throat> specific kind of work in an industry that requires quality control yeah. and management. Um, I don't think anything that goes through human hands should not go through a certain amount of quality control and management if you want that product or deliverable to be, you know, the most right, the most efficient when you send it out the door. That's just the nature of, of it going through you know, a process, and, and everything goes through that process. And, and you know, this may get a little too wild here, but you sort of hit on it right there. Somebody, you know, you want things to be the most right. But I think the problem is, in today's world, we've even, the what is right is now even in question, you know? And I think that's so, sort of where the waters are getting muddy, because we can't even agree on things that, you know, is this right, is it wrong? Or is it just a matter of opinion? It's like, there are certain things that aren't a matter of opinion. They're just a matter of fact. And that's that's questionable now. Well, I think that the line is constantly being changed. And I think people question things from personal morality to social morality to uh, political theory and thought. And I think that just over time, lines move and people change. And I think that, that those kind of splinterings and then sub-splinterings in political parties or movements, uh, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing people who are drawing lines in the sand and they're not crossing it. And then, you know, the, the human mind is only capable of networking with, say, like a hundred people. You add in an element like social uh, networks, uh, social media, um, you're, you're, you're all of a sudden you're in front of thousands. If you're famous enough, 10, 20,000 or millions. Um, your influence has now grown. Right, you're not only your influence, but then, but you're not capable of networking yeah. with your brain, with your, you know, the brain that you have, uh, depending on your, you know, dogma like or doctrine, or science uh, evolved or were created or given, or um, you know, nature nurture what you were raised to believe. You're only allowed allotted, you know, about a hundred individuals you can actively network with. Um, so when you expand out uh, to that level, I mean, what does that do to the mind, you know? And then what ends up happening is, is people can't, um, because people agreeing with you and confirmation bias is actually as addictive as nicotine, cocaine, heroin, um, when someone's saying like, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. you're right. And you, what you want is you that necessary uh, like, click, or, or share, or post, or something retweet, like that. Retweet, whatever. Retweet. What it does is it, it, it becomes sort of like a game, and you're addicted to that exposure, mm-hmm. even though your mind can't handle it. And that, coupled with the fact that like you will probably seek out like-minded people, I think that's why like the last election was so troubling to a lot of people. Um, because when you live inside a, your, a, a personal bubble, it's mm-hmm. going to happen again, trust me. Like Conservatives are going to go through the same 
shock factor when they're either Trump or their next candidate loses. If they're if they're advocates of Trump or you know the next Republican that comes to yeah. to bat, they're going to be as shocked because people don't interact anymore. No, you don't. No one sees across the aisle. I remember uh, talking to several people. I go, Trump will win. Um, and the reason I believed that was because I I had taken a trip to Massachusetts and the Northeast with my wife, and um, we lived in Alabama. We live in Alabama, so. Um, obviously seeing Republican <clears throat> or conservative sign signage in a, uh, in a red state's not completely abnormal, but then you go to the Northeast, which you, you know, are typical blue or split, you know, yeah. purple-ish, but typically blue, like Vermont. And so I saw an inordinate amount of Trump signage everywhere, Ooh. everywhere, all over Boston, all over Salem, like just through Massachusetts, Connecticut, just everywhere. I saw this. And I go, you know, I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm, I just didn't expect to see anything for him in these other states. And I came back with this new kind of idea that, you know, I think he's going to be the next president. I think people just dislike Clinton as much as they can. And that they're going to vote in this other guy. Just, just on the simple fact that maybe <clears throat> they don't like the other candidate. Or, you know, they're, other people maybe. Uh, maybe they, you know, you, you had already been through eight years and, you know, that happens a lot. You get as, you get as much as you possibly can of one side. You know, well, here, you know, maybe my position is no better than it was eight years ago. It's time to do something different, you know? Right. And that's just part of it. I know, I know the person or the candidate is a different person, right? Like Hillary Clinton is a different candidate than than Barack Obama. But, you know, people don't see past the, the party a lot of times. It, in, in a lot of people's mind. And to their detriment. This is another Democrat. Yeah, and to their detriment, you're not really given that that favor of, of not looking at the party. Yeah. Because the party's so deeply entrenched yeah. in their beliefs that, like, it's impossible to see beyond the party lines. And that, <laughs> and that might have played in Trump's favor because he is such... He, I mean, he's not a true Republican. And maybe that's what helped a lot of the way because it, he wasn't entrenched in the party. He was, I don't know, he's just an outsider. And you know, maybe, that, maybe that's what pulled a lot of people who maybe felt disenfranchised with the Democratic Party or were moderates. I don't, I mean, I can only speak on how I feel and what I, what I can see. Yeah, and I don't, I, I'm pretty convinced that a traditional Republican probably wouldn't have won the last election. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, and and uh, and yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I well, this got oddly political. <laughs> yeah. Uh, un, unusual for both of us to get really, really deep in in a political conversation. No. But uh, we're not going to apologize for it. No, you know, and and I think that's what really what that's sort of what we need now is just people being un unapologetic, um, and talking. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know, if y'all got comments or whatever, feel free to talk. You know, of course, we want you know civil yeah. uh, engagement. I mean, be civil. Yeah. But tell us where we're wrong. Tell us where we're. I don't really like to hear when I'm right. Like, <laughs> I prefer to hear when I'm wrong. I want to know why you think the way you do makes me question uh, 
my own beliefs. So if you want to get into an argument about it, have at it, man, because I really do enjoy that kind of back and forth uh, because it makes me have to dive in a little deeper into some of the things that I consider uh, when I talk. Yeah, and, and then you're, you're on, I mean, he's not lying because I think that's what makes us <clears throat> really good friends is that now I want to be right. But I'm okay with being wrong, but that's what makes us such good friends, I think, is that I'm usually, I've, I at least try to think about what I'm going to say long enough to think, okay, I think I'm right. And then we, we, we create some kind of conversation that's sort of... What he's referencing, and I'm, he's being really polite, um, I'm, I'm sort of a madman uh, when it comes to certain conversations. I will throw out really blanketed statements, uh, <laughs> sometimes for humor. Sometimes just because I just want to see what happens and get a specific rise out of people just to see what they say. Um, I've made crazy statements. Uh, uh, we won't go into them, but I, sometimes I will, I will throw a blanket statement out. And uh, um, the sheer horror that crosses Patrick's face is actually a delight of mine. Actually, I think he's probably the kind of sick drug that I crave when I see his face when he's just in shock about what I just said. <laughs> So, so uh, if it's really crazy, I have to I have to pull back. I'm just like, oh, I think I went too far. But uh, but this is the kind of dichotomy that he and I have. We I usually will say something really intense, and then uh, Patrick, uh, much like my wife will do for me, will will rein me in, and then you know I come to a better conclusion. But I'm not afraid to be wrong. Uh, it's usually good to be wrong. Yeah, yeah, and it goes back to that. It goes back to that. Uh... You know, trying to question yourself and and better yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, but, yeah, I'm at the bottom of my bowl, man. Yeah, I'm I'm all ash. Nothing go, else, baby. Um. All right. Well, hope y'all enjoyed it, and we'll catch y'all the next time. Thanks, guys. This has been a pipecast production, and we hope to see you at the next full bowl.